0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, We are uh, heading into our second week today on generosity, our sermon series. So we uh, welcome you here. Today, last week, we talked about the importance of generosity and how we are to excel in generosity. And we didn't talk specifically about money too much. Uh, We did a little bit. But uh, this week, we may talk a little bit more about the money, the, the actual in, in, entitled sermon is Cultivate Generosity. So we'll talk a, a little bit about this, but I thought I'd give you a quick little short video. Many many today have money. Money surrounds everything that we do, everything we talk about, everything we struggle with, everything that happens in a marriage, everything that happens in a family, everything that happens at business, everything that happens within anything that you do. When you have a wallet or a purse, you always want the green stuff. It's called the dollar-dollar bill. And the struggle is, is that sometimes it's good for getting things done, and sometimes it could be the worst nightmare of your life. And the challenge is is that we often have to talk about it even as Christians because even Jesus, he spoke about it often in the scriptures, in the gospels. We know that throughout the Bible, 2,300 verses are mentioned either about wealth, possessions, or money. Jesus mentioned it 15% of the time in the gospels. 11 of his 39 parables involved money. So as much as we don't like to talk about money, we have to talk about money. But the idea of it is not so much about money, but God wants to instill in us the importance of generosity. We can't always attach it to money because generosity involves more than just that. It involves when people even give of their time, of their effort, of their uh, gifts, they're offering their schedules to people. That's generosity. And we talked about a little bit that last week. And as we look and think about, about money and how it affects us as a whole and how it could affect us by either being happy or depressed, you know, I was thinking about um, a show that you guys are you're all familiar with, uh, an older show that I remember of this of Oprah. And I want to just uh, show this video to you.
1: Okay. Right now, right now, everybody in the audience, now listen to me carefully, is being given a special package, and I don't want you to open it. Do not shake it. Do not open. Do not open. Take the box and hold it in your lap. Do not open. And now here's the deal. Listen carefully. Inside one of these boxes is a key. Do not open it yet. If your box has a key, You will be the last person today to get one of those cute little G6s. Okay? Who will it be? Are you ready? Hold on. Are you ready? JR is back in our audio booth. I want, you know, JR, this calls for a drum roll. Cue the drum roll. All right, open your boxes. Open your boxes. One, two, three.
0: Everybody gets a car! Everybody gets a car!
1: The reason why I was screaming the words is because other people were screaming so loudly. I thought they didn't understand or wouldn't understand what had just happened and what I was saying. Oh, my goodness! Everybody gets a a car! You get a car! You get a car! You get a car! You get a car! gets a car! Oh is that the
0: wildest?
1: Is that the wildest? And what is just thrilling about that moment is you can see the wave of understanding hitting each person. Because at first, one woman look, holds up the keys. I remember the black woman in the audience goes, what, are you kidding me, is what she mouthed. And then she turns to look at her friend and she sees she has one, and it's like, what? Well, you have one, but I have one too. So people at first didn't even understand what the prize was. I mean, what the joke was, what the fun of it was. And so that's why I was doing that. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Everybody gets a car. That's why I did that.
0: You know, we we think that's silly sometimes when we see so many people getting excited over a car. But yet, they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything to receive it. I mean, we don't look at ourselves, and we would have been even crazier thinking that if someone walked up and gave us the keys to a car, we would think it was a joke, but it really wasn't. See, there's a receiver and there's a giver in that episode. And the receiver was excited to receive something that was a gift. It was generously given to each of those women. And the giver was Oprah. And she's a billionaire, so she can give out cars. But, and maybe some of you might be skeptical and say, well, you know, that's a write off for her. No matter, she gave cars out. She was generous. And she found joy in giving it out. There was something in her heart that she wanted to do it. She didn't have to do it, but she did it. And she did it because she felt that it was something that was working in her heart. And I recall of years later where she started to make it a culture where she was giving things out. It was cultivating in her heart. It was growing. It was something that she wanted to do. And so with each of us, we have to understand that we, when we give, what is God doing with us? See, he gives us the increase. Uh, when you think about it, I've asked this question. I said, what do you do with your increase? Each one of us have an increase of some sort. It doesn't matter the amount. I mean, it could be $5, $10, $20, 100, thousands, It doesn't matter. We all have an increase. But it's like, what do you do or what do we do with our increase? That's the question. There's nothing wrong with doing something For ourselves, sometimes you might say, hey, do you strut your stuff? You get all excited, you feel secure, you have a little bit extra money, you get a check in the mail or something happens or someone gives you a gift. I mean, do you strut your stuff? It feels good. It makes people feel like they're secure when they have money. Or do you just buy more stuff? You got that extra money, you're thinking, well, in my mind, can I just buy more stuff? And there might be people who would say, hey, do you stuff your face? I mean, if you're a good Italian, you're going to stuff your face. I know I was talking to someone before the first service, and we were talking about the amounts of food. My mother would not put one plate in front of me, not two plates in front of me, but three. And if I didn't eat them, she'd be offended. If someone came to my house and they didn't eat enough, my mother would feel offended. And so I had to stuff my face, and that's why I was a chunky little kid when I was younger and uh, still struggle with that. But the whole idea is that It's stuffing our face because we think we have a little bit of extra money. That's what's on our mind. I know that when I get some extra money, I think about Chinese buffets. I just love them. And I love to go to a Chinese buffet because I figure they're going to lose money on me, and I'm going to gain something from it. Weight and all. Weight and all. I mean, so, but here's the thing. Do you want to get rid of your stuff? Maybe you're not someone who likes to hoard your stuff, so you like to get rid of your stuff. See, we all have stuff, and I'm using that word stuff today to represent money. Because each one of us, we have an increase of some sort. And so, as we think about the word cultivate, I just want us to just, before we get to that, I want us to have a review from last week. We talked about what is generosity. In chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, we talked about grace being a word that was mentioned 10 times. And it gave and alluded in the Greek of different words or phrases. It meant the act of grace. It meant the word privilege. It meant the word grace of giving. It meant the word grace or thanks. So the idea was that it gave the idea of generosity. Because God gave, he gave his son, which was a generous thing, a most generous thing, the greatest gift that God could ever give. He gave his very best. And here God is now calling on his people who are bought with a price in Christ, positionally sanctified, to give generously. Because he gave to us. And what we have to understand is everything we have, all of our stuff is really his can't take it with us, can't throw it in the casket. There's no money that you can put in there and hide in there and hope that you can buy your way to heaven, because you can't. See, God is trying to encourage us that what we do here on earth ultimately won't last if it's not for eternal sake, and so, and for eternality. So it's important for us to understand that, too. Generous, when we see the word in chapter 9, verse 6, it means the act or benefit of blessing. So when we're generous, we want to be interested in others besides ourselves. When we get the stuff, we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we stuffing our face or are we strutting our stuff or we're trying to buy more stuff? And those are just questions to ask because ultimately, generosity is not about the amount of money you give. It's about an attitude because it doesn't only involve finances. It involves our time, our effort, our commitment, our willingness to give. And I'll tell you, it's easier to give money than it is to give up of your time, of your talents, of your efforts, in every way. It's more difficult to do that. And so I invite you to your outline, your message notes there, because the question is being asked, what does it mean to cultivate? And uh, I I looked up the word, and it gave me some different ideas, so I just want to share this with you. It says, to cultivate is to nurture and help grow. Farmers cultivate crops. Fundraising professionals cultivate donors and celebrities cultivate their images. When you cultivate something, you work to make it better. Originally, the word referred only to crops that were, you know, to require tilling, but the meaning has widened. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I just want to quickly give you that background from last week, is that the church of Macedonia, Paul was working with them. There were people who were poor, stricken with poverty, were struggling with war that was uh, multiple wars around in their area. People were were being pillaged by the Roman authority. And Paul was using the example of the Macedonians because they were willing to give out of their poverty. And when they gave out of their poverty, it wasn't the amount that was so highlighted. It was their attitude. Paul was highlighting that and encouraging the Corinthians to do the same because they were trying to collect this big contribution and offering for the people who were poor at the church of Jerusalem. And even in Romans 15, it was mentioned. And the idea was that it was to motivate them and to challenge them, to encourage them to grow in this area of generosity. It wasn't just for a single act, but potentially to be as a cultivating work in their lives. That's so why I think Paul was instilling in them that whole idea that it's a routine of giving. It's an it's a idea of our lives. It's cultivating, it's being a culture that's established in our hearts. It's something that derives from the hearts. It's something that is beyond finances. It's something that we have to understand that um, we, we, we build up and, and, and we nurture and we grow and promote and encourage in our lives. It's a teaching. It's a training. And I think it's important for us to understand. See, like when, when one prepares a crop on a plotted land, this was their purpose for living for the farmers. See, many farmers in the past and also today create crops when they for making money and to store the food in their storehouses because of, you know, difficult times or drought conditions or cold conditions or pestilence, whatever it may be. The farmer prepared a crop and they cultivated the soil, but it wasn't just for one harvest. It was to prepare the soil for many harvests to come. And it was a hard work, but they promoted and encouraged and built up and developed their crops so they can make a living. But it wasn't only for themselves. It was Paul was encouraging them to create a crop, sow the seed, so that the harvest would come to reach out for others. And that's what we talked about last week. And that's what Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to do. So turn with me to chapter 9, verse 7, as we look to um, chapter 9, verse 7. I just want to read verse 6. It says, the point is that whoever sowed sparingly will also reap sparingly. Like if you throw just seeds on the ground sparingly, uh, you can't expect to reap a great harvest from it. If you're just throwing a few seeds. We talked about it last week being that you have to overseed. And you, have to, and you have to oversee generously so that you can expect a greater harvest in our lives. And that's coming in like in anything in what we do. So when we're sowing seed, we're sowing seed and cultivating lives in our families and our marriages. We're doing that with our neighbors, with our, in our workplaces. And it's challenging, we get distracted. We're disappointed. We don't like the way things are going on in our marriages. We don't like the way that things are going on in our families. We don't like the way things are going on at work. We don't like the way things are going on. If you're a teenager, you don't like the way things are going on at school. You don't like your teachers. You don't like the homework. You think by doing more homework, it's going to make things worse. But the sowing the seeds of homework is so that you can cultivate and learn and, and be taught about how to work through your, your, your material so that you can work through repetition and get better at it. It's like in anything. And so when you're cultivating a life, it's important for us to understand that whatever we go through, we have to ask the question, do we have a buy-in or not? Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to have buy-in. so when we cultivate generosity, it's a similarity. We must have buy-in to generosity. Look with me to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. It says this, to each one must give as he decided in his heart. Let me stop there, because the word decided in the tense of the Greek is saying that one is purposed in his or her heart to give, whether in a single act or on a routine, regular basis. So it's someone who's decided, someone who said, I am purposed in my heart to give. And in this case, he's talking about finances, but it begins in the heart. So it's not about the amount, it's about the attitude. It's important for us to understand, too, because God is calling the heart to work. Even if we look at Matthew 6 21, Jesus mentioned it at the Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And it's important too because in Matthew he was talking about laying your treasures on earth or laying your treasures in heaven. And he says, you'll have to decide where is your heart, where is your heart developed, where are you decided. See cuz God who gave generously are we too looking at it and saying how do we give back generously? Because when he mentions back in in 2 Corinthians the reluctant heart this is what it means in the Greek. He says don't give reluctantly why? cuz there's a pain of mind and spirit, grief, sorrow and affliction. So when one is given it's painful. Why is it painful? Because one is consumed with what he or she could do with the money they could spend for themselves. It's painful to give. I want to increase my stuff. I don't want to give away my stuff. I want to increase it. I want to know what can I do to buy it. Well, I would liken this to soil if we're thinking about agriculture. I would say this is the hard clay soil. You know, when I was in Dallas, Texas, we were in seminary. We learned something coming from the north. Uh, There's hard clay soil around these houses. And because there's no basements, you have to water your foundations. Um, And we had to do it every day during the summer. It was crazy. Every day I had to go out there and turn the water on and make sure we did. Because if you don't, you're going to pay for it. Uh, Thousands of dollars you're going to pay for. So when we moved up in the area in 2008, Joy and I... What we saw was that we asked a friend to take care of it and look it over for us. And about six months later, we found out he really didn't do that good of a job because we found out we have 3000 to $4,000 worth of foundation problems <laughs> because he didn't water our foundation because the ground is clay. Now, the ground is there, the foundation is laid, but it has to be cultivated and cared for. Someone has to look over it and make sure that it's, it's done correctly or else you pay think of the same thing reluctantly. It's painful when you have to pay three or four thousand dollars, but it's also painful when someone's heart is like a clay heart, just giving not out of a cheerful heart but a clay heart. Also under compulsion, the word means giving out of necessity, constraint and pressure. I liken that to a rocky soil because what reluctant was was an inner working. It's an inner pressure. The under-compulsion is an exterior, outward pressure. And there's the pressure and constraint. And so rocks and soils, what what it does, rocky soil does, it stops a crop from growing. The seeds can't land on the proper soil. The soil's not very good, and then it doesn't really grow a good harvest. It's there, the soil's there, the rocks are there, but it's not. In fact, these two terms that Paul was highlighting was that when you're giving sparingly, it's joyless and unwillingly it's not really reaping a great harvest because the heart's not in it. That's the problem when we don't have buy-in. But cheerful means this, glad, happy, cheerful. There's really not much more to it. Cheerful in the Greek is pretty much what we see in the English. But it's one who has a desire and privilege to honor God, one who is passionate about honoring God, one who has a heart in it, buy-in, who is purposeful to do that. See, that's where it came from, Proverbs 22, 9, in the Septuagint. It talks about God loves a cheerful heart because God is cheerful. And he wants his people who are bought with a price to give with a cheerful heart. But that's something that has to be cultivated. And generosity is not often given only through money. There's a story about a young football team that decided to give, but they didn't give their money. They gave something of their pride. They gave up everything they wanted to give for themselves, willing to give to a young boy who was so worth it. I want to share this video with you.
2: We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles, the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road. Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just
1: like to make someone's day,
2: make someone's week, just make them happy. The play which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Hug. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players. Hug, Gabe. What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him. Because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us.
1: Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one
2: before. WHICH BRINGS US TO PART TWO OF THEIR PLAY. IF YOU DIDN'T SEE KEITH, IT'S BECAUSE THEY WERE SO PROTECTIVE OF HIM. BUT HE WAS IN THE MIDDLE OF THAT RUSH. AND WHEN YOU CROSSED THE GOAL LINE, WHAT WAS THAT LIKE?
1: AWESOME. <laughs> IT WAS LIKE, DID HE JUST SCORE A TOUCHDOWN?
2: GET YOUR what? CAMERA OUT. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't. KEITH'S PARENTS, I CARRIE AND JIM, awesome ALMOST MISSED THE MOMENT but they got the significance. Somebody's always gonna have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid. Although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you?
1: It was like, like once I saw him go in, I was smiling like about like here.
2: Wide receiver, Justice Miller.
1: Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face.
2: Why did it affect you so much? Because,
1: like, he's never been, like, cool or popular, and he went from being, like, pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day.
2: Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory.
1: Well, I I kind of went from being somebody, like, mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life
2: which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time Steve Hartman on the road in Olivet Michigan
0: well that's a tearjerker Whew. you know I'll tell you they gave of themselves They didn't care about getting the touchdown and becoming the greatest team on earth. They cared about that young boy. They wanted to give him a gift. And they gave him one. He was part of the team. And I'll tell you, that's the same idea. We must understand our stuff is not for us more than it is for others. Paul was trying to instill that mindset, that heart attitude in them. He was trying to say, listen, guys, we got to cultivate this in our lives. It's not an event. It's something we've got to do. It doesn't just involve money. It involves a heart change. It's transformational. I mean, even, even Paul said, for God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why? Because God gave. That's his grace. It's a gift. It's a generous gift. We must be reminded every day. It should be cultivated and instilled in our hearts, branded in our hearts that God gives every day in our sanctification, grace upon grace, abounding evermore, forgiveness, grace upon grace, giving us opportunity after opportunity. It's not that he expects perfection from us, but he only says one thing, give me your heart. That's what I want. And he wants that from each one of us. When we give him our heart, then anything can follow. Whether it be our finances, whether it be our time, whether it be our gifts or whatever, God is calling. Like I said before, it'd be easier to give your finances than to give your time and your gifts and your efforts. And God's calling each one and he's saying that to him and he's saying so that having all sufficiency in all things, meaning he's saying I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to meet your need at all times, everywhere. I'm going to make that abound in you so that When I do, you may abound in every good work. Meaning the good work isn't about our stuff. It's not about if we could buy new stuff. It's not about whether we can stuff our faces. It's about the fact that we can do a good work while blessing someone else. Because our stuff is not for us more than it is for others. I'm not saying you can't do something with your stuff. I'm not saying you can't have your stuff. I'm not saying you can't have a few toys and some hobbies and some things to do. That's not the point of this. But the point is that God wants us still in our hearts, that first initial thought of saying, hey, wait a minute, I want to give. Because even in the last part, even in verse 9, it says this, as is it written, and it was Psalm 112, 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He's talking about an individual. The psalmist is talking about the man who gives freely and lends. That's the overall idea here is that God who wants to cultivate in us, he wants to cultivate generosity in the life of a believer. And the way to do that is to, to we have to learn to live with less and learn to give away more. The Lord promises to meet our needs and our wants. It's a difficult lesson. It's one that I got to tell you, I told you last week, it's not something on the first thing on my list. Believe me, when I get extra money or when we get our increase, the first thing I say is, wow, with this extra money, I can buy blank. That's the first thought that goes through my mind. I'm going to be honest with you. I will never challenge you more than I have to challenge myself. I'll never be, I have to ask God to challenge me because the first thought is always about what can I get for myself? And I'm asking God as I'm teaching and preaching this, God change me. Give me a cultivating generosity. Cultivate that in my heart. I want to be that. I know a friend of mine who Maybe I don't approve of everything he does, and he's a believer, but he always is willing to give what he has. And I've told him for years, I've hung around with him, i spent a lot of time, and I'm like, bro, I'm going to take some, Psalm 112 reminds me of you. And I'll tell you, I just want to share this passage with you, Psalm 112, it says this, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. And so the lending, is not it's not about just giving money. It's about a man or a woman of character, a person of character. So we're not just giving. God wants to change the heart. See, it's a heart of character. It's a transforming thing. God wants to do that work. So it says on, for right, the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of the bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. It's a transforming work of God in the heart of the individual. It's not the giving of the money. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. You know, the horn of an animal, is, it demonstrates and shows forth strength and prosperity. When we give freely... When we lend, when we have this cultivating heart of generosity, we are displaying the strength and prosperity of God in our lives. It's a beautiful picture when we can see that when we're trusting in God. See, God doesn't just want you to give, He wants to transform your heart. So when you give, your heart's already transformed. It derives from your heart. It's not just the giving of the money. Again, I'm gonna say it's easy to give money, it's more difficult to give of your time, your effort, and your schedule. Even Even David said in 1 Chronicles 29, 14, he talked about money because he was about to give offerings to the house of the Lord that they were constructing uh, for his son. David says this, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. That means that's exactly the words in Hebrew. Meaning everything's yours, Lord. Everything I'm given is yours. What I give is already yours. He goes, for we we are strangers before you and sojourners. And as for all our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God, Elohim Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, all this abundance that we have provided for building you, a house of your holy name comes from your hand and is all from your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have the pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered in all things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. He's saying that the heart is the one that's changing. The giving, the freely giving, it's joyful. It's not reluctant. It's not under compulsion. It's joyful because what he's saying is that my stuff is yours and it's for you to do what you want me to do with it. That's the beauty of God. That's why he even goes on to say this, our extra stuff is for someone else's gain. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, as I stated before, the seed sown provides a present harvest and enough to seed. And plant for the following year so the word that first supply that word supply or what do we call provide even means this in the Greek it means a gift it's granted see sometimes what we do is we work we work hard we earn money we get a check we earn money because we've worked hard for many years and when we earn that check we grab that piece of paper we get that monetary gain We put it into our checking account or into our savings account and then after a while, we start to think, hey, I've done this. I've worked hard. I've worked hard for many years. I studied hard. I've done everything I could. And we forget that it's a gift from God. See, God gives us the strength, the ability, the health, To be able to get in the morning, he gives us a mind that we can go to work so when we go to work, we can produce so that when we produce, we'll keep our job because if we don't produce, we're going to get fired and someone else is going to take over our job. And so all these gifts that God gives us, we don't think about. So when God gives and he provides for us, he provides through our job that we can live and he provides so we can sow. And when we sow, he provides bread and supply so that when we sow and when we work and when we make money, it's really truly supposed to be to bless someone else. It's not only for ourselves. And I'm not saying you shouldn't bless for yourself because that's stewardship. You take care of your family. That's priority. But what about the thought of maybe giving some of your extra stuff, your increase, to someone else? And I'm not referring just to the giving in the church. I'm referring to outside of giving of the church. Because, again, I'm going to tell you something. What it says here is that God is saying that he's got to challenge us to go beyond. And even that second word in that verse, supplies, that second supplies, means to defray the expenses of something. God provides by paying off our expenses when we give generously. I have a testimony of that, many, but here's one. In 2015, we were living in a home that was built in about 1980, 89. We had the original air conditioning heating unit there along with our roof. We were in a lot of debt, and I was praying every day that God would not allow anything to break down, and I mean that practically every day. And uh, we would give, my wife and I would give give generously because we believed that that is something cultivated in our hearts. We would always give unto the Lord, but we were in a lot of debt, so it didn't make sense. So um, I would call on friends to help me to put the Freon in the unit because it would go down, and my friend would come, and he would do it as a gift. He would come. He was in the business. He would help us out. Well, 2015 of August came, and it was going down, and I called another friend, since I outused my other friend, and I called another friend, and I said, come on over. I need some Freon. He goes, be happy to do it, brother. And he came over, and he, and he did it, and about a couple of days later, it broke down again. I said, bro, what's going on? He goes, I think it's dead, bro. I said, oh, please don't tell me that. Tell me it could be fixed. He goes, no, nah, I can't. It's broken. It's 27 years old, bro. It's broken. I said, okay, and I said, here we are, Lord. I don't have any money. Here's the day that I was dreading. Lord, I don't know what to do. Prayed and prayed and prayed. I was talking to my brother. My brother said, you know what? Mom wants to give some money out. She wants to do it for you. And I said, what? She wants to uh, take care of it. I said, Joe, um, you know how much it costs. He goes, yeah, that's okay. Mom says she'll take care of it. Just let me know when you get it. I'll get her a credit card. We'll take care of it. I said, okay, um, i got to find someone to put it in. My best friend, who happens to do it for a living, he's a general manager, said, I'll put it in for free. We sat there in tears and crying and saying, wow, Lord, you really do defray the expenses. Um, then as it's been done, and I helped my friend put it in, brand new unit, we found out we can get a credit on it. So we did. We got a credit from Pennsylvania for putting in a new unit, a more efficient unit. So what I'm telling you guys is that God not just gave us a brand new unit and have someone free to put it in. I made money on it. I made, a, I made not hundreds, but $1,200. I'll tell you what I made. I wanted to give it back to my mom. My brother said, just keep it. Mom said, keep it. See, God will defray your costs. I've seen that over and over, and my wife and I have seen that over and over and over. doesn't mean you always get out of debt, but I'll tell you, he does. He'll supply and rescue. But he calls us to give everything we have to him because it's his already. That's the beauty of God. You know, a scholar said in one of the commentaries, I'm going to quote it to you here, a selfish man is never rich. His day is long as his neighbor's. Yet he has no leisure except his own amusements, no sympathy or concern beyond his own perplexities, no strength but his, to fight his own battles, and no money except his own need. What haunts his mind at every turn is the dread of having too little for himself. And that's, that is understandably so as we ch- are challenged every day in our lives. Martin Luther said this, I have many things in my hands that I have lost, the things that I've placed in the hands of God, I still possess. That's the beauty of God. When we possess our hearts in the hands of God, we give anything to God, it's still in his hands. God handles it. He keeps it. See, but what, what ultimately does is that the last thing when we cultivate generosity, spiritual riches totally outweigh material riches. Second Corinthians 9, 11 says this, you will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, the word enriched means spiritual and material blessings, really spiritual. It's the heart that's transformed, it's the life that's moved. Even the same word in 1 Corinthians 1:5, Paul says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, meaning he was referring to the grace of God, the spiritual blessing that we have, because God gave and we received. And that's what God does. He does this because righteousness equals one who gives generously because that person knows God gave and provides everything necessary for the seed, for the growth of the crops, for the harvest, for their food, and for their salvation. God gives generously. It's a reflection of our heart. Therefore, we've got to be bought in. There where our heart is is where our treasure is. And the buy-in is sowing the seeds in the lives of others, whether financial or something else. And that's why it's important for us to understand that the spiritual definitely outweighs the material. That's why cultivating a heart, God's trying to teach us to live on less and give more away. That's the beauty of God. What stops us though? What are some roadblocks or excuses why we may not give? We talked about some of this last week. One is embarrassment. What I give is not enough anyway. It's kind of like the widow's mite, the two coins. But it wasn't about the amount. It's the Macedonians. It wasn't about the amount. It's about the heart that says, I'm going to give. If it's $5, $1, $2, a dime, a quarter, it doesn't matter. It's the heart. God's not interested. God says, give of your time, of your effort, of, your, of, your, of all that you have, of your talents, for him. And sometimes we got to let the embarrassment go away. That's reputation and pride. God's not interested in that. Secondly, irresponsibility. If I give, I won't be able to pay my bills. Or oh, we've been through that. I remember one time I, we got a check in the mail for five or six hundred bucks, and it was just enough to pay the bills. And I told Joya, um, "Hey, we got enough to pay the bills." She goes, "Did you give yet?" I said, don't <laughs> do." And my wife had to remind me. Because I forgot all about the fact that I need to give. And so we gave that money. And God blessed in the next three, four, five weeks. But there are many times when we say that, but how am I going to pay my bills? Let God supply the seed. Let him multiply it. Let him increase it. Will he not allow it to abound in grace? Yes, he will. Third, irrelevance. If I give, I won't be able to have the latest, the newest stuff. I'm out of touch. Got to have the shoes. Got to have the clothes, got to have the new phone, got to have the new thing. See, God's saying, what about first fruits? That's important, but sometimes those are excuses and roadblocks in our lives. Nothing wrong with having stuff, nothing wrong with having a hobby, nothing wrong with spending money for yourself once in a while. Just talking about a mindset. So here are four practical goals to cultivate generosity. I want to encourage you. One, you pray. You just pray. You ask God... To give an opportunity to challenge your heart. That's it. Just start there. Just saying, God, challenge my heart. Teach me how to do. That's what I've been doing in the last couple of weeks, saying, God, challenge my heart. How do I give more? God already told me of a couple I need to give to. And I said, Lord, and we did this. We did this in seminary. My wife and I would give, and we would give, and we'd give 50 bucks, 100 bucks, but to that, that's like a 1,000 bucks today. And I remember praying and praying, and see, like, the second thing is I created a a list of people and causes to support, and I, I prayed for certain people, and then God said, give to that person. And then when I went to go give, they said, how did you know? I said, I just prayed, and the Lord told me to give to you. So create a list of people or causes that you can support, whether it be compassion, whether it be something else to take care of a child who is in need. When we do Operation Christmas Child, that is outside a cause. That's awesome. We're 330 boxes. Please continue to give. This is the only gift they're going to open up for the entire year. Please give. Also, I didn't get this. Someone else got this. I just took it. Enhance your standard of of giving rather than your standard of living. That's cultivating. That's creating that work, developing, growing, nurturing, promoting, encouraging. Lastly, enhance your giving annually. Why? Because God gave. See, God gave. That's why we do it. When we think about communion, when we think about what God gave, he gave his son we think about the fact that he committed he gave us his very best and what do we give back we must be called to give back what he's given to us if he gave us his best then we must return with our hearts back to him that's what communion's all about you know i was thinking about a verse and it's in second corinthians chapter five and it's so apropos because it's the gospel it says this Chapter 5, verse 21, for, the, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God was willing to give his son, and his son was willing to become sin who knew no sin that we would become righteous, meaning declared righteous. Not that we were made righteous, but declared, sentenced although guilty as the Bible would say, eternally separated from him, now sentenced, innocent, and in his presence, and none of our doing. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of communion. That's the beauty why God reminds us on a monthly basis or even reminding us every day of the importance of being reminded of what he did for us when he gave his son. That's generous. And God calls us to be Generous. And he wants us to cultivate generosity in our hearts. So we have to continue to be reminded that that's the gospel. That's communion. That's the beauty of why he broke his body for you and I. That's why he shed his blood for redemption of sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so as you're coming forth to receive the elements, I want to encourage you to reflect on that. To reflect on what he did for you and I. Now, if you do not have a relation with God and you're seated right now, you don't, you don't even know what that means, please stay seated. Don't come up because the Bible says that would not be a proper thing for you to do. But if you have any questions, if you're concerned or wondering what does it mean to have a relationship with God, we would love to talk to, to you about that. After the service, we'll have Pastor Dennis and the elders here. We'll be able to share that with you. And if you catch me, we'll share that with you because we want you to know what it means to have a relationship and to be forgiven of your sin. To, And to be knowing that you can have the assurance of eternal life so let me pray for you and as i pray for you if you're here for the first time normally what we do is just come up and we take the elements and go back to our seats and we pray we reflect we do a self-examination and confess our sin and then i'll come back up afterwards so let me pray for you father thank you thank you for this time together thank you for this reminder of communion thank you for the fact that when we come together as believers Uh, You have called that one of the ordinances of the church and that we would come together to reflect on what you did by sending your son To die on the cross for sin. Thank you for that generous gift Thank you that you gave Thank you that the fact that you gave I didn't earn it and never will earn it none of us will that it's a gift And so God we want to thank you for that and God we want to thank you that your son was willing to Just die to be broken and to shed his blood for sin. Thank you, Lord, for that perfect substitutionary atonement. And I pray that as we reflect, Lord, be with us as we look to you, and may you just transform and change our hearts as we celebrate your son and what he did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you come?